Well, thank you, Raquel, for reading the scripture, and thank you, uh, what did you say, former summer student Hunter Hamilton? I like the sounds of that. That's, that's great. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Good morning, again. Have you ever been to Basin Head? You ever been to that? It's a beautiful beach up uh, towards the east of the province, towards Surrey. Um, beautiful spot. And what I'd heard about for years was that it was one of the best beaches in Canada and that it has these, these kind of wharfs. I don't know if that's what you call it, but I'll call them wharfs, where uh, some people actually jump off into the water and have a great time. Well, a few years ago, uh, some friends and mine, we all decided, let's go to Basin Head. None of us had ever been to Basin Head before. Took our families, took our kids on up, and we're coming close, and we'd heard that people jumped off the wharfs, but we didn't know if people were allowed to jump off the wharfs. Does some of you know what I'm talking about? So as we get closer and closer, we're looking around, kind of trying to figure out, like, what's going on here? What's the deal? You see, like, immediately there's, like, four lifeguards sitting on chairs or standing around here, like, okay, like, there's nobody jumping in. And then you see a teenager that does a flip off the, off the bridge into the water. And you're like, okay, I guess people are jumping in. And then you see the sign that says, no jumping. And then you think, okay, what's happening here? You're looking at the lifeguards, and the lifeguards aren't doing anything. Someone else jumps off, someone else jumps. And go, okay, what's the rule? And you think, okay, it's a free-for-all. Maybe we have freedom. We can do whatever we want here. But then you hear the, the lifeguard. Oh, we're not very good whistle. That, my mouth is a bit dry. Someone do a whistle. Thank you. So, so you hear a whistle, and then the lifeguard says, no, nah, nah, that's too far. You can't do that. Okay, so it's not so free-for-all here. But then you quickly realize it's okay to jump as long as you're being safe, as long as you're being careful. And you watch, and you see, and you jump, and you have a great time. And I, my son Cameron, the first day that we went, he was pretty young, and he was pretty intimidated to try to jump off and into the water. It was a bit of a high jump. Depending how the tide goes, it can be a bit of a jump. He was really nervous to go for the first time, and it was getting towards the end of our time there that day before he jumped. He had a blast. And the next year that we went, he was so excited to do it, and he, he was saying, I'm going to jump 40 times. He had a blast just jumping into the water. One of the times that I was there, there was an older couple. I don't know if they were uh, an older parents or, or like grandparents. They were with a little girl. And they were watching, and she was watching, and everyone, she wanted to jump in, but she was too little really to do on her own. You've got to climb up a ladder once you get into the water, and so they're we can't do that, we're, we're too old. And so they came up to me and they said, they saw I was helping all these kids, and they said, she'd like to jump in, would you help her? Would you go with her? And I said, no. <laughs> all right, the Sermon on the Mount, no. <laughs> I said, well, of course. So I took her by the hand, this little girl, and the two of us jumped into the water, and then we climbed the ladder out together. She had a Wow, it was such a great time. And she got to do it because she did it with me. And I guess her parents or grandparents just looked at me and said, that guy's got safe dad energy. He's okay to do his thing. It was a great, great time. So there's times in our lives, there's these moments where 
we kind of wonder, what are the rules? What are the expectations? What are we supposed to do? What are we allowed to do? And if you've ever come to church, maybe today's your first day, I don't know. Maybe you've come before and you've thought, like, what am I supposed to do here? What am I allowed to do? Like, you know, I don't know the rules. Maybe when you came to faith, if you are a believer in Jesus, maybe you were asking the question, like, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do? I want to get this right. I don't want to make a misstep. And that's a question that has been echoing through, really, uh, millennia, hundreds of years, as people in the church have tried to figure out, like, what do we do now that we're in the kingdom, now that we're followers of Jesus? And it's a question that is being asked throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is answering it as he teaches. He's talking about how we live the kingdom life. Now, last week I, I put a question up. We'll, let's look at the question again now. And this is the question that Jesus is sort of answering uh, as he teaches. And I, I talked about how uh, pre, the previous week, uh, Valerie, one of our elders, became a Canadian citizen. And it was a beautiful moment where now she was a new citizen. She cuts up her PR card, her permanent resident card, because she's got a passport for Canada. She's part of a new country. Some of you are looking forward to that day. Please invite me when you have your citizenship ceremony. I love you going. So the question, you know, now that you're in a new country, now that you're in the kingdom, once you follow Jesus, the question is, what's the right way to live now that we're citizens of a new kingdom? And that's what Jesus is addressing. But even more specifically, like, what rules do we follow now that we're in here? If we're in the kingdom, if we're followers of Jesus, like, what rules do we follow? And the next question, the specific for today, is this one. Still there. What is the Jewish law to followers of Jesus? Now, everyone that sat at the feet of Jesus when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, pretty much all of them were, were likely Jewish believers already. They were part of the Jewish history, tradition, and faith. But as time went on, more and more people from outside of the Jewish faith started to become followers of Jesus as well. Now, the Jewish people have two ways that they call it. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. That's everybody else. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And lots of Gentiles, lots of Gentiles were starting to follow Jesus. And it created this, this issue of, well, what rules are we going to follow now? Because these people weren't used to following the Jewish law. And this is a question that started to become a real issue very early in the life of the church. I want to take you to how this started to unfold. It's in Acts chapter 15. This is going to help give us a lens on this next part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to the next verses here. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're saying, you have to still follow the law of Moses, even if you're a Gentile. You have to still follow the Jewish faith and the Jewish law. Well, this created some disagreement. It says, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. You don't have to say the word vehemently very often, so I'm going to say it again. They were arguing vehemently. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. <laughs> Do you know? No, you don't know. Huh? That's what I said. So there's a big argument that breaks out, and they're intense in the way that they argue. 
And then the argument continues, and so they say, finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, so there's an entourage, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. This is a question that they were asking. Do we follow the Jewish law, or do we do something different now that we're followers of Jesus? And I want to take you into, it says when they get there, there's a long debate about this, and it doesn't tell us the whole debate. It only really starts to tell us what happens in the end once they come to some conclusions. But I want to sort of imagine how that debate might have gone for us because they would have been talking about what Jesus had instructed them, probably been referring to the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to look at what Jesus said and how this leads us through this conversation, what Jesus was teaching us about what we're supposed to do, what the rules are, what the regulations are, what the expectations are that we're to follow. So they show up and... Probably what you hear is the Jewish believers saying, well, let's look at the words of Jesus. And they didn't exactly have Bibles the way that we do now, but they probably said, remember the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, yeah, okay, let's go to that. Let's go to the next slide. Let's look at the words Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard them read already once today, but Jesus said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. And they all start looking at each other going, like, ah, see, we're right, we're right. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, we'll start with this. Down here in the bottom corner of the screen, I've put the, the Greek word for Christ, Christos. Okay? The third letter in, the Greek letters are different than uh, sort of the, link, the letters we use in English. You can see the third letter in is this little, just a line. And that's, that's the letter Yota. Now, I'm not saying Yoda, I'm saying Iota. And we have an expression that still to this day we say, we say, you know, it didn't change a single thing, not one Iota. We still say that. And what Jesus is saying, not even the slightest part of the law will be changed. Wow, that sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? Not even the slightest part. That's like how we say, every I will be dotted, every T will be crossed. Okay? And so the Jewish believers are saying, see, Jesus says he's not getting rid of the law. It's not ever going to pass away, not until heaven and earth disappear. In other words, this is permanent. This is supposed to stick around forever. We're supposed to keep following the law. Point, Jewish believers. When Paul steps up and he says, hold on, that's not what it said. Jesus said, it won't disappear until the law and everything is accomplished. That there's no way this will ever change ever. It's permanent until it's accomplished. Okay? Some of you know the language of contracts. We could talk about the Old Testament like a covenant, which is similar to a contract. It's a relational contract. But in a contract, that contract stands until it's fulfilled or broken. And what Jesus says is, the contract isn't going to be broken. The contract's going to be fulfilled. And once it's fulfilled, that means something very different. Now, some of you will remember, I have a small business. I work with uh, churches and nonprofits doing communication, graphic design, stuff like that, just sort of on the side. 
And when I do a contract with, say, an organization, I have to do exactly what we agreed to at the beginning. And I'm not free from that contract until I do all of that. So for example, I built a website for an organization and they wanted a specific thing added to the website. It was a journal. I built the journal into the website. And then as soon as I do that, the contract is fulfilled. I've done all that they asked me to do. But, but I was looking around the website and I was like, oh, this part's kind of ugly. I'm going to make that graphic better. And that wasn't part of the deal, but I didn't charge them. I didn't do anything. I, I did more than they asked for, but I couldn't do less. I had to do exactly what we'd agreed upon. And what Jesus is saying, until the contract is fulfilled, the law stands. The contract holds. Nothing will be changed. It's permanent until the contract is fulfilled. And once it's fulfilled, that means something different. And Paul says, what Jesus did fulfilled the law. Point Paul. Okay. Interesting. And Paul takes them back to the story of Jesus. Immediately after Jesus was raised from the dead, in Luke chapter 24, he starts appearing to people. And as at one point, people don't know that it's Jesus, and he's walking along the road with them. Let's go to Luke 24 here. It says Jesus was walking with these people. They didn't know who he was. And Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, he's saying, all the law and prophets point to me, point to Jesus. Then a, a little short time later, he appears to the disciples. They recognize who he is, and he explains. He says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then it says this, as he explains all that's happened, he says, you are witnesses of all these things. Jesus tells them, you have now seen the law fulfilled. Everything it was pointing to, everything that you thought was coming, the fullness of that has been completed. Contract done. And what Paul says is, we no longer need to fulfill the law because Jesus fulfilled it. He filled the contract completely. It's done. It's over. Jesus told us that he's done everything that the law required. Wow. So they start thinking, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're doing, Paul. I can follow here. But hold on. Does this mean it's a free-for-all? Does this mean that the law is worthless, that we don't even look at it, that it doesn't have any meaning anymore, that we can just do whatever we want? And then the Jewish believers say, okay, okay. What did Jesus say right after that, though, Paul? Huh? Let's go. Let's look. And they go back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus said, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. They said, see, 
you still got to do it. It's all there and you can't put it aside. You, how dare you teach anybody that they don't have to follow the law anymore because Jesus said you can't put it aside. You can't teach about that. And you, you only get blessed if you practice and teach the commands that Jesus gave us. There we go. Point for the Jewish believers again. They're all patting each other on the back. Yeah, yeah. Where do you want to go eat, eat after this? Yeah, we showed Paul. Yeah, pretty good. And Paul goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not what Jesus said. What he's saying is, in order to complete the law, in order to complete the contract, you have to be absolutely perfect. You've got to be better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You've got to get every single thing right just to get into the kingdom of heaven if that's the way you're going to play it. And Jesus said, the whole point of what Jesus was saying is, you can't do it. It's impossible. The Pharisees and the religious teachers of that day, the, the teachers of the law, they were absolutely meticulous about keeping every part of it faithfully. And they couldn't do it. Not a single one of them could do it perfectly. All of them acknowledged that. There was no way they could actually keep the law. It's impossible. So what Jesus is telling you is, if you want to try to get into the kingdom by doing all that work, you've got to be absolutely perfect. In other words, you can't do it. It's impossible. So is Jesus telling us that none of us can get into the kingdom unless we're perfect? No, that's not the point. What Jesus is telling us is that if we follow the way of Jesus and we trust him, if we have faith in what he shows us and who he is, then we're in the kingdom. And it's not about what we're able to do. It's not about the workload. It's not about carrying all that on our back and getting everything right and being perfect. It's about getting in with Jesus. And our faith in him makes all the difference. See, when you complete a contract, you can always do more. And Jesus completed the contract. Jesus lets you get in on all the benefits of having completed the law. I don't know, were you ever in school and you had a group project? And you had somebody that didn't do anything towards the presentation? Oh, I'm hearing some bitterness rise up. I'm stirring up some old memories. And that person gets the same mark that you got? Scandalous. Scandalous. All the teachers here are just shrugging. Eh, that's the way it is. I actually had a project one time in university where one guy literally didn't even come up beyond the first day. We had probably 16 meetings, did a whole presentation, and we told him, you better not show up on the day of the presentation because you didn't do anything, and we're not getting our mark dragged down because of you. And you know what? He walked up on stage for the presentation with us. But we had told the professor, and the professor knew what was going on and asked him questions to embarrass him. <laughs> so that's an aside. But here's the thing, here's the thing. You get in on a group project where Jesus does all the work. You don't have to do anything, because he's done it all. And even though your ability is extremely low, you just can never get it right, because Jesus has done it all, you're good. And it's no fun when that happens, and you're in the group, and you're doing all the work, but how great is it that we get to be part of all that Jesus has won for us. 
And what is being, what we need to understand here is there's no way that we can accomplish this on our own, but Jesus can do it. And when we have faith in him and we trust Jesus, that's enough. And we don't have to try and strive and keep working and get bent out of shape of doing something that's impossible for us. We just have to trust in Jesus and we'll be okay. We don't have to strive to get into the kingdom with a perfect score. No, we simply just show up and trust Jesus, have faith in Him, and He lets us in His kingdom. Let's us be part of all that goodness. That's a totally different way to understand how we are and how we live and what we do. And so, point Paul. And Paul keeps going and he keeps talking about this. In fact, for years to come, he'll be explaining this to other people because it's a difficult thing for them to understand. What he's saying is, remember, you, the most important thing here is to have faith in Jesus. It's not about trying to work and accomplish to get approval to get in. It's like if you were to show up at a big event or something and you, don't, you can't afford the ticket, you can never afford the ticket, it's just way too much money for you, but you show up with Jesus, Jesus opens the door and you walk in. Who are you trusting? Who are you with? Are you trusting in your own ability or are you trusting in his? So Paul, as he continues to talk about let's just go to the next verses on the next slide. He's, he's explaining this to the Romans in Romans chapter 9. And he says, even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, well, the Gentiles were never trying to do the Jewish law. He says, even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. How did that happen? How did they get right with God? They didn't strive. They didn't do all the work. They didn't keep every law. How did they get made right with God? It was by faith. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. What we need to understand is all of our effort and all of our work will never be enough. But if we trust in Jesus, it's all that we need. It's all that we need. Now, does that mean that the law is worthless? Does that mean that we never have any value for it whatsoever? No, that's not the case. But we need to understand that it's showing us God's intention and desire for how we should live. So is it worthless? No. But what do we do with it? Uh, on the next slide, Paul's talking about this with the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3. In his letter, he says this, The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. And if you go out and look at my car in the parking lot, you're going to see two yellow stickers on it, a G and an L. And right now, I don't have any L's in my house, but it'll only be another couple of months, and Cameron will be needing that sticker, so I kept it on. But my two girls, they're both G's. They have done the work of learning how to drive and over time have learned how to do it and are able to do it now on their own. When they started out and they were L's, learners, 
they needed me in the car with them to be able to go for a ride. They couldn't do it on their own. They needed someone with them. They needed an instructor. They needed me. They couldn't do it on their own. And it's similar to that as they progressed over time. They no longer needed that anymore. Well, what Paul is saying is the law was there kind of as our guardian. You couldn't do it alone. The, the, the law was there to show you what to do, show you what you couldn't do on your own yet. But the thing is that's different about learning to drive and achieving uh, right standing with God is that we can never achieve right standing. We can never learn how to do it on our own. The analogy that I like to use, and I've used before here, is basketball. When I was uh, young, I was a teenager, I went to a basketball camp one day. I was, you know, like four foot two or something at the time, right? So a little bit shorter than I am now. And there was this one basketball superstar that came in. He wasn't Michael Jordan, he wasn't LeBron James, but in our eyes, he was just as good in that moment, right? He shows up and he says, let me teach you how to do a slam dunk. And he walks us through, he shows us all the steps, and then he just does it, effortless, boom. Ball through the basketball net, beautiful. He's told us everything we need to do to get a perfect slam dunk. But you know what? None of us can do it. We know how, we know what it looks like, but we can't do it. The law shows us what it looks like when we're living well. The law shows us what it's like when we get it right. The problem is we're only four foot two. We can't do it. We're not capable of fulfilling the law. We're not capable of making a slam dunk. Now, if this were to change and extend, what happens now is Instead of us trying to do this, which we can't do, it's like if I was jumping for the slam and the guy just took me and lifted me up and put it through the net with me. What happens is, when we come to faith, the law shows us what it looks like when we get it right, but we just can't do it. But Jesus, by his Spirit, makes it possible for us to do what we couldn't do before. And Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's done the slam dunk. He's won the tournament. He's won the MVP. But he's going to help us now to be part of the game, to be part of the action, to get it right, to be on the winning team. And Jesus makes, us po makes it possible for us to participate in all the success, all the wonder, all the goodness that comes with his great victory. And so Jesus makes it possible for us to be part of that, the fulfillment of the law. Not because we were able to do it, because with his help, with his support, we were able to. So what's the difference? It's not our work. It's not our effort. What is it? It's our faith. It's our trust in Jesus that makes all the difference. Now, going back to that little girl on the wharf, she couldn't do it on her own. She couldn't climb the ladder out of the pit. But with me at her side, she could take the jump, take the plunge, and rise up again. There's a beautiful thing here for us to understand is that it's not about the work that we do. It's not about our effort. What Jesus is teaching us is a better way. 
It's not about what we're able to accomplish. It's about what he has already accomplished, what he's already done, and what we get on if, if get in on if we just trust him. We just have faith that he will do it for us and he'll help us do more than we're able to do on our own. That's good news. And that's what Jesus has come for. And so when that all kinds of wraps up, coming all the way back to that conversation in Acts chapter 15, let me take you to where it starts to come to a conclusion. The next slide, we see Peter, none less than Peter. You'll remember Peter, one of the greatest disciples, the most vocal, most strong, passionate disciples and followers of Jesus. He stands up in the middle of that moment and he says, God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. So he says, it's already happened that these Gentiles are in the kingdom. You can say that they, they should be or they shouldn't be, but they're already in. Jesus has already shown us that. He's already given them the Holy Spirit. So whatever you think is wrong. He says, God knows people's hearts. He confirmed that he accepted the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? He says, you couldn't live up to the law, so why are we asking them to live up to the law when that's not what Jesus wants anyway? What Jesus wants is our faith in him. He doesn't need us to be successful in accomplishing the law perfectly. He needs us to trust him because he's the one who's done it. And we follow him because his way is good. And he leads us to light. So it's not that the law goes away. The law still shows us what it's like when this is being lived out. But now by the Spirit of God in us, we get more and more capable of being able to do what was impossible for us before. And even our character, who we are, becomes more and more like Jesus all along. Because Jesus takes us by the hand and says, we'll do this together. Come with me. And then the concluding words that he says in this part is, we believe that we're all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. We're part of the kingdom of God, not because we did anything great, not because we worked hard, but because Jesus gave us a gift, a grace that he earned, that he won. And when we have faith in him, that's it. We're in the kingdom. We're great in the kingdom. We're on the winning team. We're part of the victory. So as we end the sermon, I want you to think about where do you stand? Are you standing on the wharf and you haven't yet jumped in? Are you stuck in your own work, realizing that your work is never going to be enough? Do you keep striving and attaining and try to look like the model Christian, get every gold star on the Sunday school attendance and try to do devotions every day, and try to serve in the nursery and try to do this and that so that God will finally be happy with you? Is that how you're trying to live out your life? How you're trying to live your faith? Are you looking and saying, I'm not even bothering because I can never do it and I know I'm not good enough and I only came to church today because somebody dragged me here. And I know that I'm not good enough. I know I've messed up. There's no possible way that I could be good enough for the kingdom of Jesus. Is that where you're at? 
The whole point is no one is good enough. No one is able to do that. So if you're standing there, would you, by faith, take the hand of Jesus and jump? Take a step of faith. Enter into the joy that he has for you in his kingdom. If you're in the kingdom, you don't have to work so hard anymore. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try to accomplish. You don't have to try to win the trophy. You can just be the loved, beloved child of God who's already accepted, who's already in. And you can enjoy all that Jesus has won for us. All that Jesus has is ours. Are you living on the outside of that? Thinking maybe even that you're in. Or are you in? What Jesus says is, I'll show you the way. My way is better. Trust me. Have faith. I'm holding the door open. I'm holding your hand. Just come with me. If you haven't yet accepted that invitation and got in on all the goodness that Jesus has for you, what's holding you back today? I can hold your hand and we can jump together. I can point you to Jesus and show you what he's doing in your life if it's not clear. There's people around you who love you in this church and care about you. And they'll walk with you. They'll jump with you. They'll hold your hand so that you can get in on it too. You don't have to strive. You don't have to work so hard. You can never earn it. It's a gift. So would you just receive the gift? The gift of Jesus. The gift of his kingdom. A life that's available for all of us freely today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that there's no possible way we could get in on all the blessings that you have in your kingdom. But because of you, not our own goodness, we get to be part of it all. So Jesus, help us to trust you, to have faith in you. Not in our own efforts, not keep striving and carrying the burden and piling another thing on our back and just hoping that God didn't see that mistake that we made, not just letting all of that go, recognizing we could never be perfect, but we don't have to be, and trusting that the work you've done there at the cross was enough, trusting that the life you invite us to is available to us, that you'll help us live it, you'll help us fulfill the life you intended for all of us, and more, because you're with us, you're in us by your Spirit. So Jesus, show us your perfect way and help us to walk in it. May we trust you with faith to follow. In your name we pray. Amen.